Welcome to the QI Chatroom. I'm your host, Kelly Bond. This podcast is brought to you by Redwood Community Health Coalition, or RCHC for short. We're a network of community health centers and a wellness education site throughout Marin, Napa, Sonoma, and Yolo counties. We formed in 1994 with a mission of improving access to and the quality of care provided for underserved and uninsured people. This podcast is all about quality improvement, or QI, in healthcare. We'll bring you speakers from our member health centers, outside health centers, county and federal agencies, healthcare plans, and more. Those speakers will discuss promising practices they've identified at health centers, the latest data on specific health topics, and engage in conversation with our live audience. We've been hosting these chat rooms since late 2018 and transitioned to the podcast format in the fall of 2019 to reach a greater range of listeners. We hope you'll join us as we share the latest in quality improvement with you. This episode is all about childcare. Childcare is an ever-present need for our workforce. Every county in California has a resource and referral agency that serves as a hub for patients and child care providers. They connect children in open spots, train providers, and manage fiscal assistance options that are available. This panel brings together the executive directors from the R&R agencies in Marin, Sonoma, Napa, and Solano counties to discuss concerns and potential solutions that they can help health centers to implement in both the short and long term. Our host for today's episode is Cynthia King, RCHC's Director of Programs. I'll turn it over to her to introduce each of our speakers. So first we have Melanie Dodson, the Executive Director of the Community Child Care Council for C's in Sonoma County. Hi, thanks for having me. I hope you love my uh, Legos in the background. My children are in the other room distance learning, so I've confiscated my son's desk. (laughs) I almost did that too. And then we have Aideen Guidemore, Executive Director of the Marin Child Care Council. Hi, thank you for um, having me here. I actually left my kids at home so I could have, some, I, had to, I said I had to be professional this afternoon so I would come into my office. Nice. And then we have Erica Lubensky, Executive Director of Community Resources for Children in Napa County. Hi, happy to be here. And I do also have two kids and I'm just hoping they don't show up. So. <laughs> And Kathy Lago, Executive Director of Solano Family and Children's Services. I hope that my one daughter's in school uh, in Chico, busy, and my other daughter has my grandchildren. So I'm at work. (laughs) And it sounds like we were talking before, three of you at least have been doing this for a very long time and known each other anywhere from 12 to 30 years, you said, Kathy? So we have a real depth of uh, experience and knowledge here, which I appreciate. So many in our audience and those who will be watching this know personally how difficult it is to find childcare, uh, much less childcare that is high quality, a specific type of childcare, or allows flexible schedules, which is often needed for our essential workers. During COVID-19, we have seen in the media how challenging it has been for childcare centers to stay open with such variability in the market. Um, Erica, I was hoping you could tell us what are additional challenges we're not seeing or hearing about that health center leaders should know. 
That's a, a very big question. And I invite my colleagues to jump in because we could talk about challenges probably for the next five hours and not address them all. Um, a big challenge, and that's probably the case in the other counties as well, is the staffing. Um, if you think about the fact, um, those of us who have kids, uh, our kids get sick often. Little kids just get sick, you know, they're building up their immune system and the staffing is a challenging across the North Bay. Uh, and right now, uh, many sites are having to overstaff just because there's always going to be a teacher who has, who's sick or who has been exposed to COVID or who knows somebody who got exposed to COVID or just has the sniffles and doesn't know if it's just allergies or something worse. So overstaffing also translates in a significant increase in expenses which when you're operating already on a re reduced revenue, it's, it becomes a, a significant financial hardship. And are the staffing actually, are staff actually available to come in? But that is that part of the problem too? A part of the problem is that we've been, we've been short of staff as a field for mm -hmm. the last, you know, I will say 10 plus years. So even getting, a, even getting subs or, or additional teachers, it's uh, mm -hmm. nearly impossible right now. Here's Adian. I think that one of our um, biggest issues is that our workforce is very underpaid and often undervalued. Um, and there is a lot of inequity with our workforce because a lot of our workforce are actually low-income women of color. Um, and uh, it is actually crisis mode for childcare programs to be able to provide people um, to get staff into their programs and to um, even get uh, Childcare workers into the field is really difficult right now. So that's definitely crisis mode. And I also think one of the biggest issues for our programs is, in general, the cost of providing care. Our state-funded programs have a reimbursement rate through the state, which doesn't actually cover the full cost of providing care. And even our private pay programs, the fees that they charge don't actually really cover what you would need to provide a high-quality care in, in their programs. So I think that our field in general faces and has faced those types of crises for a long time. And I think during COVID, that's really been highlighted. The inequities have been highlighted for our field and also um, really trying to provide care under new ratios and new standards. So um, I think it'll be very interesting to see how our field will survive through after COVID. Here's Melanie. And I think just to add to that, the biggest issue with capacity right now during COVID is that a normal center-based program might run a classroom with 24 kids um, and you have multiple classrooms. Under COVID and public health orders, we're only able, in my county, in Sonoma County, we can only serve 12 in each classroom, even with the new state guidelines at 14. So not only um, are we exacerbating the need for staff, because we have to have enough staff to cover that, those children all day. They have to stay in stable cohorts as is appropriate for the health issue we're under. Um, but the costs to run that program are much higher for the families. Um, and then on top of that, you've got, um, you know, staff who can't come back to work. So we've been in a crisis with our staff not having enough staff. Now staff can't come back to work because they're at risk or they are parents too. And the other big challenge is that schools are closed. So we need a higher capacity of childcare than we've ever needed. More individual classrooms for small cohorts. And then um, I was going to say one other thing with the COVID-19, uh, the capacity, the numbers, um, 
Yeah, and then just the, the, oh, and our staff have been actually in Sonoma County, many of our ECE staff have been kind of taken uh, by these parent groups who are off, have the opportunity to pay individual teachers to do small cohorts of their own children. So again, the inequity of families who can afford to hire their own teacher to work their, with their group of distance learners um, where um, fam the schools and the, the programs that were existing are losing their staff um, to those kind of models. And there's a lot of fear. So if I can be a teacher and I can be in a group with only six kids and it's always those six kids and it's just me, there's a comfort in that for the teachers too. So you can't fault them and also the money opportunity. So um, so much going on normally in childcare as an industry, but now everything magnified in COVID. And ECE is early childhood. Uh, ECE, early childhood, but really when you're talking about childcare, we're talking birth to 12 years old, really um, through elementary school. Um, of course, we were talking a lot about latchkey kids, the idea that a lot of kids now are home um, while their parents are working mm -hmm. with no supervision and older kids at the ages of nine, 10, 11, 12, and sometimes younger are caring for younger siblings. Here's Kathy. The only thing I would add to that all of it, yes, absolutely. But it's also the um, the ever-changing messaging about what's safe and what's not safe for young children and the medical concerns they're finding with young children in COVID. And providers are just, just they aren't sure what to, to believe and who to follow. And they're kind of just following this, what the school's gonna do. Um, some of them have been open and then they closed and now they're open again, now they're closing again. <laughs> It, it's such a, a group of businesses in flux that it, it, it can't bear that kind of change over and over, especially when they were already really struggling for many of them, struggling financially. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, some of our health centers, and I think there's some awareness of this, but it's really good to hear the, the details and breadth of it. And I know that some of our health centers have brought up considerations of possibly subsidies or shared childcare options for their employees, um, or there may be some potential for shared resources between health centers in our coalition. What would be like a big swing creative option that they might not have considered yet that the strength of our coalition could make possible? I, I think the messaging about employer support for childcare, employer acknowledgement that without childcare, you do not have employees. People need three basic things in life. They need housing, they need employment, and they need childcare. And the supports that childcare provides is beyond childcare. It's nutrition, it's education, it's safety for some children. For some children, it's the most safe place they can be during the day. And you think about some of those kids in high school that are at home in a place that's not so safe right now. Mm -hmm. um, those are the older kids um, who can speak up. But there are examples out there, and it's always a struggle, but trying to get some employers together who say this is the right thing, and we can support it with a shared services model. Because when we've gone in the past, we have a biotech um, entity in our county, um, Genentech, who has a good example of on-site childcare in uh, South San Francisco. But here in Vacaville, they just couldn't think they could make it work. They didn't think they had a need, which I don't think they were listening to their employees real clearly, but also it was the cost, it was the bottom line. So how do we share? And 
we have this great idea to share early childhood ed students from the community college to do some training and education on site and serve as childcare providers, as, long, as well as uh, the Kaiser or the healthcare entity that's near there or a couple of them sharing that site because they've got all these businesses in some of these um, big, uh, uh, what I wanna say, business parks. Um, and I think there could be some shared services that could really make a difference. And then there could be that support of the resources when people are really struggling to get staffing or whether they have enough spaces to fill for children. Um, and then the healthcare entities can share. I know we reached out to our um, nursing students at the community college to do uh, well checks mm -hmm. um, at childcare centers here as part of their um, education and training. And then the shared knowledge of health and safety and childcare, because one of the basics for childcare is you've got to have real good health and safety, and now you have to have really, really good health and safety. And is I saw that Alicia had asked, and I'll go to you, Melanie, the, um, if that's you guys actually have plans or um, like outline that could be shared with our health centers. Yeah, Melanie. Um, I was just going to say that, yeah, everything Kathy said, and then one thing we're, we've been promoting in Sonoma County for, we've been working on employer-supported childcare for a few years now, um, but there's both temporary and there's long-term thinking around childcare right now. Right now, we're in a crisis, and we need childcare now. So the community care licensing from Department of Social Services just put out a new pin, which is how they inform the field and the community of what's possible around waivers. So we're encouraging a lot of our business partners both healthcare and any other businesses to really think about their their employees and their employees needs so you kind of needed to get your hr to do those surveys of um, how many families what are they using for care are the kids staying home do they still need care but then being able to think about your large conference rooms or a facility that you maybe have the access to that doesn't have anything going on in it. It's normally a training space or something like that. Could that be converted for childcare for emergency right now? And you as a business could get a waiver for that right now. You would need to identify staff who are background cleared and who could run that program. You have to keep within the ratios and follow all the waiver guidelines, but all of your resource and referral agencies, which are on this call, can kind of help you get connected to licensing and talk you through some of that. Four C's is just about to release of what's called our pop-up toolkit. It really isn't for COVID. It was literally for fire. Um, it's for that very short-term temporary need, but it literally walks a business through an incident command model for emergency preparedness about including a childcare coordinator on your staff and you're thinking about incident command model. And then also all the tips, what would a room look like? What do I need for kids? so that you would have your preparation to have that go. So you can almost take that and use it for COVID and working with license to get a group of 12 on site for your own employees right now. The other thing that's going on in Sonoma County is a lot of our churches. I'm meeting with our churches in a week. They're thinking about um, standing up spaces. So partnering with local uh, community centers and churches or other folks who might be able to put up sites for in partnership for your employees. And then I believe it's Kaiser or one of our, our local is actually doing the benefit directly to their employee where they're actually providing, I think it's almost $250 a week, um, which the costs in our county right now for a week of care for school age has just gone up 25 to 50%. It, we're looking at 250, to, uh, I've seen up to 375 a week for families. 
So if you have employees that can't afford that amount, finding a way to create your own sites um, is actually more affordable for the families. And then your, your employees will come to work. <laughs> So I'm going to um, jump in. I think um, Melanie is exactly right, but I, I do want to stress, as Melanie said, you should connect with the resource and referral and make sure you're providing a safe place for children. Because we have heard more and more through these pods, these learning pods, that um, you know um, families are coming together that they're not supervised and they're not going through a licensing process. So I think it's very important that if an, a company is setting up something emergency, they are connecting with licensing, they're getting that waivers and they're following all the regulations they need to because there's no way any of us would recommend unlicensed care in that type of setting in a group setting without not knowing. I mean, staff need to have a criminal background check, all of the basic necessities. And I think that, you know, we've seen right now with the schools all doing distance learning, we have seen you know, the real impact of childcare. We've seen our childcare programs who offer after school, who would have offered after school part day for families are now doing full day and again are in crisis mode because they may be taking care of 60 children with different Zoom schedules, with different grades, with all of this going on and they have one staff to 14 in Marin where they're trying to work with these kids. But I think it's really highlighted that I know during the whole debates about schools staying closed. It was, you know, the, the unions for teachers were saying, well, we're not childcare. That, that shouldn't be in the equation for schools to open. But the truth is schools are. Schools are providing all day services for children. They're keeping them safe. They're keeping them um, occupied. They're keeping you know, their brains functioning. And I think it highlighted for a lot of our, our families the real crucial need for, you know, stable childcare too. So, and short term, I, Melanie's pop-up, we've used it in Marin for emergency pop-up at the beginning of COVID, her, her toolbox that they did from Sonoma, it's really useful. I think it's a great tool. But for long term, honestly, employers have to really value childcare for their um, employees. And we all know that usually it's women who don't go back into the workforce or are not a part of the workforce because they are the ones who are at home taking care of the children. And we don't have a lot of employer-supported childcare in Marin County, but I can tell you that employers offering subsidies to their parents or partnering with, a, if you can set up a shared model, going to one of the current childcare centers that are open and saying, can we buy how many slots? So then our, our teachers, can, our, our employees can use this facility and our company is paying for them. I think it's, it's you know, as you we were saying, we've been in this field for, I've been in the field for like over 30 years. And I think that the, it still amazes me that our society doesn't value childcare the way it should and that, you know, as women, we should be constantly fighting to say all of our employers should some, some type of benefit. I mean, we offer baby bonding at work. We, I mean, we do, there's so much, many ways that employers can make it a better place for women to work and be able to raise their children. So even just, you're, I'm going to make sure I understand what you're saying, like make it part of the benefits package of being yeah. an employee, that whether it's yeah. a subsidy or a site or that sort of thing. Exactly. And yeah. there's a lot of single dads out there too, and oh, yeah. just how critical it is. Um, and the, the if you dive into it, and we have this because we work with our Santa Rosa Metro Chamber all the time, but the return on investment um, for a business, it seems very... Um, uh, intangible but when you actually put the dollars to it about the retention and the morale and the longevity of staff I mean it's just it's it's a huge amount of return on investment well there's so much talk about equity right now right in so many different directions and this addresses women like you were saying as well as women of color and I mean that just does seem like this would be a huge step that makes a lot of sense 
Yeah, the only thing that I'll add is uh, all those models are great. And I think right now in the short term is trying out uh, a few creative ideas or as many creative ideas as we can come by. And one of the things that we've done here in Napa is we actually had the Boys and Girls Club brand a childcare at a local church. So they maximize their space given the COVID requirements of distancing and how many kids you can have in one room and all that. So they started reaching out to churches so that they can utilize their space and basically convert that site into a childcare site and, and utilize buildings like that. I know the city of San Francisco, for example, when COVID just started, they had their parks and recs. The, they had a really good partnership with the parks and recs where they redeploy even their own employees to watch some of the kids in the different park and rec sites of the city. Is that an option? Like if health centers have furloughed employees who might be background checked or licensed in other fields, is that oh, other ways to do that? So, yeah, I mean, there's always ways to do it. The question is whether or not the numbers add up. I know in Napa County, we had one of the local hospitals uh, partner with a gym that happens to be across the street from their parking lot. And they had hired them. Um, the numbers were not quite what they were expecting. This was at the beginning of the shelter in place where we were all, all expecting to have spike um, in a healthcare crisis and it just never came around. Mm -hmm. So at that point, they only had, I think, a couple of, maybe it was like three or four kids and number wise, it was just not adding up, especially because they, there's always this distinction between the zero to five that require a totally different kind of care versus the school age kids. So in the case of this gym, they were only a, they, they were only equipped to take care of the older kids and then they were leaving the little behind. So the numbers just, they couldn't make it work and they ended up closing. Hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, but there's a way, there's a way to make it work. I mean, they could have, they could have looked at subsidies. They could have looked at all sorts of other uh, creative ideas. And having an employer who's feeding people in there versus just a general open thing maybe would make it more successful mm -hmm. too. Kathy, you mentioned the junior college uh, education program, early education program. And I'm wondering, were you having those students go to another site or were they using the junior college daycare site for that? So I was just using that as an example of a way that you could have a shared um, childcare setting that employers could, several employers could pay for or utilize. And our early childhood ed students at some point do need to go in and work in a setting, a childcare setting. So if you've got this kind of model like their lab schools have already, but on a, a, an employer site, that could be another way for them to have an opportunity to do their, their coursework on, on the floor with children. And what we had done this um, during COVID is our nursing director at the early childhood and at the, uh, the community college asked us because all of a sudden their placements dried up because of COVID and they couldn't have students going into some of these hospitals. But we had, we had worked with a couple of centers to use them to do the health checks in the morning before children came into those centers. Um, and so they found other placements as well. But that's just one way of a collaborative effort that you can use some resources that are already right there. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. It seems like space could be an issue with logistics. Um, and so I'm, where there are childcare places on closed school campuses like JC's or Sonoma State or that sort of thing, do you, do you get, any of you have any sense of what, a, if they could be open when the rest of the campus is closed? We, um, yeah, they couldn't, at, they could at the beginning if they stayed open. So uh -huh. Vallejo Unified School District has childcare centers that have state funded programs. And our OES um, coordinated to 
help uh, Kaiser and Sutter Hospital employees have childcare at that childcare center. But then, but the minute the school closed, if that center closes, they can't reopen until the school opens again. Because it's a um, school. But, and but that's, just, yeah. that's interesting. That I think it's different yeah. in every county. So, yeah. um, because even within our own county, in Sonoma County, we have 40 different school districts. So they're all interpreting the governor's order and their requirement um, based on the tier that we're in and the watch status now. Um, so, and insurance is the other big issue. So it depends on which school district here I talk to, but most of our school districts are allowing um, vendors or childcare programs that normally operate to operate. However, um, and I think Sonoma State, their children's school is open, but the JC Santa Rosa Junior College is not allowed their program to reopen at all. So it, it's very varied and there's not any clear guidance, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will say insurance is a huge issue. Yeah. Uh, that's what, at least in our county, that shut down a lot of the doors. It's just, the, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when people were unsure as to who was gonna be holding the liability bag if somebody will get sick in a site, that scared a lot of people away. And is that something that health centers could, if they had liability insurance, that they could help provide? Or is, I mean, not, not, probably wouldn't want to. I mean, at the end of the day, if you think about it, there's family, the, there's a lot of women who run these small businesses from their home and are taking on their liabilities. So I would imagine that if a woman of color who's living on a single income is running these things from a house, a hospital would be, Might able, be able to, to do something. Some more. Yeah. <laughs> We're running our 12 sites. All of them are open under COVID guidelines and our insurance is covering us. So I think the school districts have some unique things going on. So, but I think in general, employers can be supported if they're doing stuff on site. Um, just two basic things that we didn't start with. That's true for all four of our counties. And I think it's really good to know is remember that your childcare resource and referral all of this other amazing stuff we're talking about is a lot of work and there's a lot going on for everybody. But you can have all of your employees call the child care resource referral in each of our counties, our agencies, and we will connect your families to the slots that are open. Mm -hmm. um, we can't pay for them all the time. Sometimes we can, sometimes we have vouchers, and but we are the agencies that do the referrals. We support parents. We're going to connect them with any funding they may be eligible for that's coming from the state or any local sources. The other opportunity that employers always have is all four of our organizations and across the state in each of our counties our agencies are set up to do payments for providers we pay our providers dollars that come funneled through us through the state for care for children who are low income so we can do scholarships if an employer wanted to do scholarships for their employees you can set up a fund with any of our organizations sorry i'm speaking for you i assume you could i i would figure it out i know I'm, we have a early learner scholarship program right now but that that could help take some of that burden off that employer and the only challenge then is is there space for children in the care that's available I totally agree, Melanie, that, I mean, I think the resource and referral in general is something that all of, everyone should have in their HR department sending um, people to us. We, currently we have, we do scholarships, like, well, obviously we do the AP program here, so we do vouchers for childcare, but at the beginning of COVID, we actually were given um, through a donor advised fund, a, a, a large amount of money that we were then used for emergency childcare for low-income essential workers, that we could actually distribute that. So all of our programs 
I'm sure, you know, have that capacity to be able to offer those scholarships. And it does happen. We've had a few different for our agency where donors have said, I want this, this funding to go to this particular case for childcare, whether it be in West Marin or in Marin or whatever it is, and then we will do that and allocate the funding and get those families enrolled and um, help them to get to childcare. But as Melanie said, if childcare is available, because the, we have lost, well, we have about 140 centers, childcare centers in Marin County, and we have about 50 who are now open. So the rest have not reopened. Of our family childcare providers, we have about 160, and we probably about 120 open. So family childcare, we're more inclined to stay open. But there is, there's many reasons these programs aren't opening. Some of them are saying they're not, the children won't return. So in the wealthier communities, the families are like, I'll just keep my kid at home. I don't want to have that risk of going back into a childcare program. And um, we have programs who are closing and um, who say we just, we, we couldn't last this since March with no funding and no family. So we're done. We just have to shut our doors. Um, and then we have programs who are too nervous to open for themselves and for their teachers. They just don't want to do it. So I think that um, that is, I mean, and I don't know if you guys are the counties are the same, but we are really seeing a big crisis in that right now and how to get those programs back open. And that is more than, I mean, that is actually looking at what happens when shelter in place is lifted or when we are all back to it being no longer working from home and we need this childcare supply again. Like, what are we going to do then? So, and I think that cannot be solved by, that has to be public funding, state funding, that has to be somebody has to come in or federal funding to really rescue these programs and trying to support them. And that's what our agencies do. Besides helping parents find childcare, and besides doing all of that piece, we are really here. All of us have been um, issuing um, checks for PPE equipment or cleaning equipment. We've all been working with all of our childcare community and doing everything we can to really get them back and to help them and trying to get their doors back open again because it's definitely I mean if things ever who knows get back to normal I'm very concerned in Marin County what our supply of childcare is going to look like. And I would say never waste a good crisis because I think one opportunity out of all of this is with all these potential programs popping up um, whether it's employers who are doing it at their sites we are all working remotely now. People are not gonna need the facility space for their employees that they, will, they needed before. They're gonna continue to work remotely. So perhaps some of these churches and community centers and employers who have started these um, cohorts for distance learning, that these can be spun into the new childcare that will exist in the future. Um, yeah, we're in exactly the same boat as Marin, as 18 described, where we're, we're at about 50% of our providers open. Um, and remember, those 50% are at about 48% capacity. So it's, it, it, it's, parents have it rough right now. It is not an easy thing to navigate. So definitely get them in touch with us. They can only provide 48% of the slots, not that they are 48% full. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, they can only provide so 12 per classroom wow. or 14. So that's <laughs> that's county. the social distancing rule is the 12 to 14. Yeah. 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 Okay. And it depends on your local public health order. And I think that was another very confusing thing for our field too, which is not really about employers want to childcare, but we were receiving information from maybe our Office of Education in the county, from our public health department, from community care licensing, who actually license all of our childcare centers. And we do recommend licensing for programs we feel it's important. And then from the state. So our providers and our childcare programs were getting all of these mixed messages. And as the R&Rs, our job was to try and compile all of that, get it together, find the correct facts and get that out to them. So it's been a very confusing time. So some programs are like, I just 
I can't. This is too much. I'm being told I can, I can't. It's been, it's definitely, and I think the state turning to the statewide tiers and making some changes because even, you know, you cross the border into Petaluma and you're like a different rules than you have in Novato, you know, like it's, it's kind of crazy. So I had two questions that have come up. One is um, you're talking about federal funding as a necessity. Is it, is it being considered as part of the next um, assistance act? Is that included already or is it something that yeah. advocacy? It's there under was, discussion. Well, there was some which was allocated in the first CARES Act and we haven't received that funding. That hasn't trickled down through everything to get into the providers of the childcare world yet. There was, and then in the second round of funding, there has been funding set aside, but again, it hasn't actually been decided it will happen. But yes, there is, but I don't think enough, I mean, <laughs> that's just me, it's never enough, right? <laughs> Right. I, I think that's an important point that um, as a child care resource and referral agency, we're going to know what form of subsidies are coming down. And as an example, um, I mentioned that our Vallejo Unified School District kept their center open and the county used um, OES funding to fund these sites for these, these children, these few children that needed care. And in the meantime, the state then gave us emergency childcare subsidies specifically for these, these families that would not normally qualify for a subsidy. They make too much, they earn too much. So us knowing that we could then transition those kids into a subsidy, let the, pay, the state pay for it and it's available to them through December. And then the county could save that money to pay for other families or childcare services that aren't available. So it's that kind of make sure that you check in with your resource referral alternative payment program because there could be some misdirected funding and have families actually miss out on long-term childcare subsidies that they would have not been available to them otherwise. So, and for us, the care at Vallejo Unified with all their prepping to make sure they did everything right and the union and the janitorial union and the teachers union. For, it was a very expensive price tag for four months of childcare for 10 kids. Oh. And granted, they needed to do that. You couldn't question it because that's how they were gonna make it safe. However, the state subsidy wouldn't have paid nearly that much per child, more like $750 per child per month instead of $1,000. <laughs> so, but, it, but to me, it's about using your resources well and extending and, and um, allowing more children to get served and more families to get served, too. Yeah. So you guys are a conduit for slots that are available, subsidies that are available, as well as potentially helping to facilitate sites like becoming subsidies. Yeah. care. I had one more a question about what you guys were talking about in terms of the spectrum of services, the scholarship piece. I think one of you mentioned that a health center could potentially donate uh, to you as a scholar. So if they weren't ready to do a stipend or a benefit, they could potentially give you money that you could then make available. Would it have to be, could it be designated to their employees or would it be a general? Okay. Like a donor designated fund, whatever the employer wanted, you'd really need to talk with your organization that you were working with um, and determine the need. Um, it's kind of a scary dollar amount, but we have our scholarship program. It's $12,000 a year per family. So it's a big amount, but that's what it costs. Mm -hmm. And it actually costs more now. But the, the reality is it could be a partial subsidy too. So mm -hmm. if 
um, four-year-old child goes to XYZ preschool, um, they're an employee of the health center, um, then each of those employees gets 50% of their tuition paid for. And then we would facilitate that additional supplemental payment going to the site. Um, the reality is, is it also could be just as easy to give that to the employee right into their benefits. So, um, but both are options depending on the, the structure that you would want to set up. You said 12,000 per year per child or per, per child. family, per child. And per that's child. true for everybody? Ours same. would be higher. <laughs> and ours is higher. Yeah. Moreta is the highest, no. is one of the highest in um, the state, us and whatever Contra Costa. So ours would be a little bit higher than that, yes. Okay. But the same thing, I mean, we've had um, most of the funds we get like that are donors who obviously don't want to, they don't want anybody to know that they have donated this funding, but they can actually say, we've had people who said, we only want this funding to be distributed to families for childcare in West Marin. So you can definitely put what you want on that funding source, and then we follow through with that. And so potentially an employee of the Marin West, West Marin Health Center could get yeah. that fund as well as the general West Marin Family Fund if they lived there. Like Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and when we're doing that outreach, that would be great if, you know, we knew, because we will pull off a wait list too. We'd be like, okay, we've got these families are looking for in West Marin, this is what it is. So, yeah. Great. And I just wanted to add that the cost also depends on the age of a child. Like we're talking about 12,000 as a... As a, as, a, as a number that you could just do math with on the back of an envelope right. to come up with a big figure. Uh, but for example, if you've got an infant, you're talking about $20,000 a year at least. People are always, they always get sticker shock when they see the cost yeah. of childcare. So when people say, oh, can we do a fundraiser for childcare slots for you? And I often say, no, not really, but <laughs> <laughs> we could do a fundraiser to help get funding to draw down other funding to, you know, it's, it's a hard one to take when people see it, but as a parent paying for childcare, you would know, right? Yeah, exactly. it didn't surprise me at all. <laughs> it's been a while, but still remember. Um, is, is there anything else on this topic? I mean, this is really the meat of it. So is there, are there any other kind of creative solutions that you've been a part of or seen or that you would like to see happen? I can say that in Marin, in 2016, we did have a ballot initiative to try and get funding. And I think that is something that, unfortunately, it was a bad year because it was um, the presidential race at the same time. But we lost that. We worked on that um, ballot initiative for maybe six years prior to get that actually on and the ballot. And we lost by a tiny, a tiny margin. But I think that really the, for funding, you know, we, we, we say that schools are a part of our communities. They're funded. There's no question about it. We just expect our child to be able to go to public school. And that's right from five on. Why do we not expect that for childcare? And I think that is what it has to be. So I, for us, we will definitely look again. I mean, right now it's not, it's, you know, politically it hasn't been um, the most, the greatest time right now. So we're looking at different issues facing us as you look at to do a ballot initiative. But I strongly feel that it has to come through something like that, that, you know, either we have a whole you know, the state changes and so childcare is going to be fully funded for everybody who needs it, not just our low-income communities, but if we're going to do a, a big investment on this, um, or we do some type of local initiatives in our, each of our counties or maybe regionally, if we can do it to say, let's get something on the ballot that's really going to support children and families in our counties, because childcare is just going to get more expensive. And, you know, really, it's what keeps, you know, us working, right? It's essential. And I, we always say it's like a snapshot in time. So like you just said, oh, you remember the cost from when you needed it. Childcare, you only need for this short period in your life. Maybe it's five years or four years. 
schools, you're invested in from age five right through college. So you're always, you know, as parents, you're always looking for that system. I think that people forget about childcare because it's no longer a necessity, but it always will be. So I would just, I mean, I'm very passionate about this, but I really feel that we need to have a huge investment from zero to five and whether that be through public or whatever. But I think that's, that's because with the cost, we can't fundraise, as you said, Kathy, to serve every child in our county. But if the public really invested in it and if they believed in it, then maybe we would be able to get some type of initiative passed. Erica, were you starting to say something too? Um, yeah, I just wanted to add a couple of things there. Uh, there's usually a big industry in each one of our counties. Uh, and there's also the public sector. So getting them engaged in solutions for childcare. And, you know, there's no reason, for example, county offices uh, have lots and lots of employers in every single place. Uh, if they could partner with organizations like us and some of the industries, local industries, to provide employer uh, sponsor or whatever the arrangement wants to be, I think that'll be a huge win uh, for every single community. And the other piece that I wanted just to bring up is, um, let's not forget about the, the, the people who actually need care on a non-traditional schedule, oh, yes. because that's such a big challenge that unfortunately, when we look at the solutions that we're talking about, they're rarely taking into consideration the people who need, um, especially in the healthcare industry, these, these, in our case in Napa, there's a lot of hospitality that work weekends and nights and odd schedules and the eight to five just doesn't meet the need. So uh, that's the other, the, the other one that we have to keep an eye on. Generally, the, the, the only care that's available for them is a friend, a family or a neighbor, or every once in a while, there's a home-based childcare provider who is willing to go that extra mile and work those different hours and accommodate those schedules. But that's currently really tough to do because of the limitations in childcare. Those opportunities have gone down significantly. And what, what do you, um, what do you feel like is the solution for the swing shift workers? Well, I think our big push in Sonoma County is to build our family childcare capacity. Um, it has been since the Tubbs fire in 2017 because we know that those small home-based providers do multiple things. It provides um, care for the youngest children, usually our birth to three. It provides the most flexible hour of care because oftentimes they're willing to stay open later because they're already in their home. They do overnight care often and even weekend care, although even in Sonoma County, I think we have like five providers that might do that. Um, but then in response to the COVID, and you could see it with Marin's numbers and Sonoma's numbers, our family child care providers are weathering this better than our center-based programs. Because again, they're already small groups. It's high quality in the sense of it's culturally appropriate. It's in someone's home. It's one-on-one, -on -one, good ratios with the kids. Um, so also, it's an unemployment deter. So if we have folks who are on unemployment and are good with kids and are able to stay home and care for kids, it's a job opportunity. It's a small business. So working with the EDB and your, your economic development boards and, and folks to really invest in family child care, um, that is an amazing solution for several. It ticks lots of the boxes <laughs> of, of possible solutions. Great. Yeah, I was going to say, we have, you know, regular, um, probably every six months, our Economic Development Corp group has, you know, these meetings, breakfast meetings, and different topics, and 
you know, it, it's one of those places where you want to make sure to get at the table there. Um, and you're not, we're not always as interesting, I guess. Um, we're not sexy. Um, but, you know, when you really start talking about it to the parents in the audience, um, but also the employers about what is, what is it that's been the greatest struggle for your employees to be at work? People will say it's childcare. Um, but it, then it's about then pushing for that communication and conversation on a regular basis. And I would say for us too, here at, at our agency, we have um, a program called Help Me Grow and we work with developmental screening um, for children zero to five. And we're supporting our childcare providers to do that screening and to help our childcare um, or our uh, pediatricians in the community to do that. And one of those things that, that was hard was getting in the door with our healthcare providers. Um, kind of like you were thinking we were local planning council. That's not odd, it's not. People may hear about local planning council in their county or they only hear about the resource and referral and they're not sure what their relationship is. And we need to do a good job of really pushing that information out to you. So that's partly our job, but um, it's gotta be a combined effort. It's gotta be a group group effort. So our economic development folks, our business folks, our healthcare providers, who can you can really support that mission and the messaging about the importance of early, healthy, safe environments for all children, because they are all gonna be taking care of us when we're old. And they're going to run by in a little cute costume behind Melanie. And we're going to say, oh, yeah. isn't that great? <laughs> I think that's that was Oh, that's great. One of my favorite parts of the pandemic is seeing people's kids and pets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I didn't say we all do the training for family child care. All of our oh, agencies okay. have opportunities for people to come to our organizations. Well, maybe not to, maybe now it's Zoom virtually. virtually. <laughs> but we are um, training child care providers all the time. So that's an, a resource we provide as well. That's really, um, it's been great. And, and I actually, I, I can relate in terms of the, our, our coalition, our regional coalitions for healthcare centers, that is what RCHC is. And people don't really know what we are, you know, or they kind of know what health centers are but not necessarily the breadth and the scope of who they serve and how important and critical. So I, I feel like there's a lot of connectivity and probably a lot of the same families that come through our um, agencies. Information on the programs and resources mentioned by the speakers can be found on their websites. Their website information and a summary of today's episode can be found on RCHC's website. Just visit our QI chat room page and navigate to this episode. Uh, Melanie, you mentioned the weekly average cost going up from, you didn't say from what, but you said to 250 to 375. Here, Cynthia is referring to summer camps. Yeah, that's for what school was the, age right What now. was the start uh, starting? What was it before? Um, well, an average summer camp for um, some of our parks and rec programs are usually $180, $190 a week. Um, and so what we're seeing right now for full day for the so school age kind of care slash distance learning is between 250 and like I said, I saw one at 375, which was only 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And I was like, what? Now, that's a really important thing, too, is we've got a system of child care that is somewhat fragile. And now what's happening is people are recreating something different and new. And when you do that, 
the only example I'm going to give, and good or bad, you've got your schools funded by the State Department of Ed, and then you've got charter schools that create this other microcosm and kind of spread thin the resources. Mm -hmm. So that's a little concerning to me, as Aideen said earlier, just the issue of are these safe groups? Are these safe environments? We know that people are making a decision so they can get to work and they know their child's with somebody they know. But that's not a good way to choose quality childcare long-term. It's really just a you know, quick fix. But the scary thought is sometimes those quick fixes can be very unsafe and not a good situation. And so let's find ways to shore up what is there and the quality that's been built there. And let's try and maintain and move positive directions instead of kind of just separating everything and filtering so you have all these different kinds of crazy systems. Um, pods, I don't, pods, who wants to use a pod, right? <laughs> they have to create new names for these things, but you get my point. But going through, I mean, you guys are there for that reason, right? That you can help people take advantage of what's available or create Absolutely. solutions within the network. And connected to licensing, all of that, yes. I completely agree. I think it's really important that we invest in the current systems we have and really support them. Um, and really, yeah, we have seen, you know, people try to get, and I know our, our state licensing is really pushing right now that, you know, programs do get licensed because they can monitor all of these little pods that are all around the place. But you don't know where your child is and who they're with. I mean, it's, some people do, but some people don't. And I think that the fact that families are going, having to take these risks for their own children, which we've seen with our low-income community forever, way before schools decided not to reopen. Families, if they can't get childcare, they're putting their young children in at-risk situations just so that they can go to their you know, low-paying job just so that they can pay their rent. Providing childcare is, is really it's a safety net service for our families. It's helping keeping them out of poverty, and it's providing with the opportunity to give back to our economy. So, yeah, and I, if I somebody wanted to get licensed, I, I'm assuming that's what that would mean, or how long would it take to stay, start a daycare is the question that's in the chat. We're seeing varied um, success rates, and p particularly now that that pin literally just came out last Tuesday, um, licensing is getting inundated right now with requests for waivers. Um, we, if we're starting a center that we are getting ready to open, it usually takes us six to eight weeks. We know those licensing applications like the back of our hands and what our rooms need to look like when licensing comes out. So um, I would, I'm not sure what it's going to look like with these waivers, um, but we did have have a business here in Sonoma County, um, gosh, just a month and a half ago, that got their waiver within four weeks. I think it's also good to know that each one of our agencies has a program dedicated funding dedicated to support providers opening. It's called California Child Care Initiative Project. And so we really help family child care providers through the whole process of how, getting them to come in and, and increasing the supply of child care. So we are available. I'm sure we all run those workshops on how to get licensed and the whole process. We do site visits while well, we did before COVID where we'd go out and do a pre-licensing visit. So we do have a support system in place to try and really help somebody who's interested in becoming licensed. So it would make sense if somebody were going to invest in eight to 12 weeks or however long it took to get this going uh, yeah. to look at it as a longer term solution, not as a, a short term COVID. I think it depends on the need because um, I, I think I do. If you think about the stress and the mental health of our employees right now and what parents are going through, 
if an employer needs to keep their employees on site coming to work that morale all those things that are going on and you have a conference room that is sitting there open that you could redirect some staff who are background cleared for the next I mean, oh, I didn't say each waiver is 90 days and then there's an opportunity to renew it. So it's a three month waiver. So that could be huge peace of mind for families. And wouldn't it be amazing if we got to send our kids back to school in January? <laughs> but that's not necessarily likely. So get another waiver just to get through COVID. I mean, I think the, the goodwill that that would establish in your business um, could be incredible and I don't think it's a bad thing and I think it also really shows the business um, what child care does for their families and and then those parents if they have a lunch break can go sit and have lunch with their kids mm -hmm. I mean we need those kind of things during this time to, to keep our sanity but so, that would still take four to eight weeks to get that set up or like I different? said we had a business we had a winery okay. here in Sonoma County that did it within four weeks but it's the same process that even if it's yeah. a temporary one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it, yeah it's great. a shorter process. You don't have to demonstrate quite as much, but mm -hmm. call licensing right away. Oh gosh. I wish I had the phone number. It's escaping me. I usually have it memorized, but that's something we can follow up with is get you our regional offices. Are we all, we're not all runner park. Um, for, in Sonoma County, our office is in Rohnert Park. So the best way is to just look up community care licensing and um, the regional office, call that office and get started. You can also go online, but it's much more helpful to actually talk to someone at licensing. Um, and I can get that number. Great. Marin County is San Bruno. Our regional office is in San Bruno from Marin County. So. We can help you source through the, because the licensing website, even the website you have to like figure out and it takes, like Alicia was saying before, it takes so long to like figure out what document applies to which circumstance and all that. So we can always help you navigate that um, and, you know, help you narrow the choices so that when you talk to license, you have a better idea of what you're getting into. Well, that's really great. I, I think these are, um, I feel like we've come up with a lot of concrete things that hopefully our health centers will feel like they can use. And I really appreciate you guys being here to share that with us and your experience and um, access to resources is really incomparable. So I think they'll have a lot of things they can work with you on. A big thank you to today's presenter, participants, and our listeners. I'm your host, Kelly Bond, and we'll see you next time in the QI chat room.